Welcome back to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I hope you guys have had a great week. And today on the show, I have with me some good friends and good guests, Brandon and Haley Weaver. Originally from West Palm Beach, Brandon and Haley have recently returned to their hometown to be on staff at Community of Hope Church. Brandon and Haley met for the first time on a Sunday morning as elementary schoolers at Community of Hope and were later married there, so COH holds a special place in their hearts. Brandon now works as a campus pastor at Community of Hope and is in his final year at Asbury Theological Seminary, where he will complete his Master's of Divinity. God bless you, Brandon, for doing both at the same time. And Haley is also on staff at Community of Hope as the multi-site strategies director, where she oversees operations across Community of Hope's campuses. She holds a ministry leadership degree from Palm Beach Atlantic and a master's of divinity from Asbury Theological Seminary. So today, they as a couple will serve as our resident MDivs on the podcast, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with them. So welcome, Brandon and Haley. Hello. What so an intro. Good to be with you. It's good to be with you guys, too. So I wanted to have you all on the show because when you lived in Kentucky, we did Thursday night dinners together, and we had hours and hours of conversations about these topics. And as I started diving more into mutuality and marriage, egalitarian theology, Haley and Brandon, you guys were already there talking to me about what you knew and had learned. And so I'm really just interested in having the listeners learn from you all today. So maybe to start, would you each be willing to share a little bit about your faith background and your background with egalitarian theology in general? Haley, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I grew up in an egalitarian home. I think that was definitely set the stage for some of my thinking around relationship and marriage, of course. But then, you know, I really didn't start like thinking about it a ton until I got to college. And, you know, it's interesting. I grew up in a house um, like you, Kenzie, with uh, lots of girls. Uh, I have a sister and so, and a mom who worked in full-time ministry and worked full-time my whole growing up. And so, you know, I went to college kind of with my perspective was that was all very normal. And I, and I felt, you know, super affirmed even at a young age, like to lead and be engaged in leadership from both of my parents, but especially my dad. And, you know, when I got to college, so many of my peers had very different perspectives on all of that. And um, you mentioned that I have a ministry degree that my, that was my background in undergrad. So I spent all of my undergrad in like a school of ministry with other peers who were, you know, studying to be in ministry. And so, of course, I think college is the natural time where you're like wrestling your perspectives and exploring other perspectives. And so that was actually the first time I came face to face with the reality that like there was a lot of people that didn't affirm my calling to ministry or my desire to live an egalitarian life and lifestyle. And so I feel like college was the first time I really started exploring a lot of that and, um, you know, had the opportunity to like study and do some deeper dives on how that really works out. But for me, yeah, so I always feel like my experience was a little bit backwards that um, I actually thought that that was more normal until I got to college. I realized maybe there's some other perspectives. People were living in other kinds of ways. And I think that's definitely how it worked out for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's super interesting because that's so different from my experience. And so I'm curious, Haley, when you got to college and 
you know, that had been your norm growing up and you got there and you started seeing these different perspectives and people not affirming your calling, maybe being introduced to some complementarian theology. What was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, I think for many of us, I think, especially when we're in our young adult years, anything that sort of like threatens what you think or understand can be met immediately with like a spirit of defensiveness. And I think definitely that was, you know, like any young adult, that would have been how I experienced, I, you know, felt very protective of how I was thinking and believing. I think that defensiveness though, eventually led to me really like doing a deeper dive and actually like doing the work around why I think the way that I think, which I'm super grateful for and wouldn't trade. I think also I was grateful while a lot of my peers were in the same place, they had their own ideologies that they were defending and protecting. I, I had a lot of professors. I was grateful to have professors who were in very different places theologically. So I had wonderful professors who were very complementarian. I can even remember a professor, she, you know, she wouldn't even be in pictures with men who weren't her husband, even if it was like a staff photo. So she really like wrote a line there that, you know, felt very extreme from where I was coming from. And I, but I'm grateful for that because she taught me a lot and I have absolutely a ton of respect for her. Then I had other professors who like helped me learn how to live in that space of like holding different ideologies than peers and um, love them and be in relationship with them, even though we thought differently, which I think is super important. So I think that offered me a lot, but there's definitely initially a lot of defensiveness for sure. And we'll come back to that deeper dive that you were saying that you went into in college and after that in a little bit, but Brandon, tell me your experience. Was it similar to Haley's or different? Yeah, absolutely. My experience, I would say, is similar in the sense that our home functioned in an egalitarian way. Um, whether my dad would have admitted that, probably not. Uh, he probably saw things much more traditional as him as the head of the house. And But we functioned in a very egalitarian way. So for me, growing up, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary that, um, you know, decisions were made together. There was uh, moments we'd have like family gatherings and we would talk through things. It was very rarely, you know, dad kind of putting his foot down and saying, you know, this is the direction we're going and there's no deviation and um, that sort of idea. So for us really, you know, when Haley and I got together and, and we were figuring out, do we want to be married? How does all this look? And um, doing really all of this background work on our family of origin and our expectations and all of that. It was a lot of that was in alignment for us. And I know that's not the case for a lot of people. But for us, it just seemed like the natural outflow of our of our upbringing, really. So when you guys got together, then you got married, what were some of the expectations that you went in on the same page with that you just naturally fell into? How did that play out for you all functionally having that knowledge of that we are coming from this egalitarian perspective? I mean, one of the ways I think about it is that, you know, we weren't like, there wasn't like a, we weren't threatened by each other's like sense of being in the relationship. I think we both, we dated for a really long time. That's a part of our story. And so we knew each other really, really well. And so it didn't feel like there was a lot of surprises or like major expectations we were wrestling. I do think one thing we, we did work through that was just ended up being different. Brandon reminded me this morning as we were kind of preparing for some of this, we started talking about how, you know, we had a lot of conversation when we first got married about like who took priority in terms of career. Like how did that work itself out? How would we make decisions about that? I've 
always felt from the beginning that I'd like to work and I want to have a career. You know, we hope to have kids at some point and our plan isn't at this point that I would just be home, but that I would continue working. And so I do remember having conversation early on because we were, we both have master's degrees and we both want to work in the church. You know, there's the reality that we want to be in the same church and we would be looking for two jobs. And that's a really unique position for a lot of people. You know, it's not super common. And we know that there could come a day where we want to work at a church and there's only one job. Um, so how do we prioritize that? We do, we talked about having a lot of conversation about that early on. I don't know that we came to lots of resolution other than, you know, we talk about the verses submitting and love that like, I feel like that we just would approach that when we get to it and work to prioritize the other person, which mm-hmm. I think is a part of what it means to submit and love your spouse. So I think we worked hard from the beginning to like really champion the other in terms of career and goals and that kind of thing. I don't know if you'd add anything to that. Yeah, I don't think there was any major points of tension when getting married. We did long long distance for three years. And so when we were having some of these conversations, I just wanted to be in the same town that she was in at that point. Um, I, I didn't care. I just wanted to be married. And so my philosophy around that was, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, you know, as we get older, I think there are certain seasons where, the focus is on uh, one or the other. So it might be on me for a season. It might be more on Haley and her career for a season. And I just think, you know, that's a reality of life in, in a lot of areas. And this, you know, kind of idea of putting the other first and putting, you know, their needs above my own, this idea that Haley's talking about of, you know, mutual submission and love. When I have her best interests in mind, uh, life is better and vice versa. When she has my interests in mind, um, our life just, it works and it functions better. And so uh, for us, we've just been really trying to champion that and explore that for ourselves. And I think I might also add to, you know, I think when it comes to expectations in the home, I know a lot of couples who can tend to get a little bit like hung up on women do this and men do this. And, you know, we, I do all the laundry in our marriage, but I don't do that because I'm a woman. I do that because, because Brandon shrinks everything. That's why I do it. (laughs) Brandon has ruined too many pieces of clothes and I have too many pieces of clothes that have to be home dry. It's just the reality, right? So um, we don't, you know, I think that's what I found too, that I, I do know some friends that they tend to like bifurcate to these different roles because they feel like they have to. And I think what we've worked to adopt in our marriage is that we're going to do the stuff that we're good at. Brandon definitely like carries the brunt of our finances. And that's just because he's good at it. You know, he's got a mind that thinks that way and he's disciplined about it and helps kind of carry that for our marriage. And I'm so grateful for it. And I think that's one thing with expectations. We just, you know, I think we tried to work things out together and, but I don't ever, we don't, we don't have pressures that exist, especially in the way that we like do our home life. You know, I don't feel the pressure to clean because I'm a female. Um, We work to do a lot of that together. Yeah. And I would say the communication of those expectations, we keep that channel open. Yeah. So I think, you know, at different times, you know, more is needed from one person or another. So Haley just uh, fully ruptured her Achilles tendon a few weeks ago. And so now um, the laundry is on me and I am asking what needs to be hung dry (laughs) and I'm doing all the cooking and, you know, everything else because we're in a place where she physically can't do that anymore. And so, you know, 
I need to create space and time to, to take care of those things. You know, it's, it's funny because the first six months we were married, I was the one who was working full time. Haley was finishing up uh, on her MDiv and then we switched roles and then she started working full time. I went part time and then started doing school full time. And I mean, since then, uh, Haley's been the breadwinner for our family financially. And to us, it wasn't really anything to bat an eye about. Um, I didn't feel insecure about it. I just think we know that in different seasons, uh, the way that we hold leadership responsibility and responsibility in our family, those those things just fluctuate and they change. And it's honestly really freeing to, to be in that sort of relationship with Haley and to know that there's that freedom from one another, not only of expectations, but our giftings, because Haley's a phenomenal leader. In a lot of ways, she's much better at it than I am. And so I just think it allows us to be the best version that I think the Lord is calling us to be. Mm-hmm. In yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think what's cool about what you said there, Fran, too, is that you, you know, you talked about like keeping that channel open. And I, I think that, I mean, this injury that I have currently has been super debilitating and really quickly, like it just all of a sudden I can't do anything. I'm essentially on bed rest and have been for almost three weeks. And, you know, I think because that is an open channel in our marriage and our relationship and that Brandon exercises a lot of willingness to engage in like caring for our home and managing our home in lots of ways that that it's made it a lot easier in a moment that we didn't expect. That was sort of already a practice for us of, you know, just stepping up where the other one needs us. And so we've been, I mean, I've been super grateful for that because I think this in a lot of lives can create a lot of tension and it just hasn't for us. And much of that is just because I have an awesome husband who exercises an incredible amount of humility in the way that he lives. I mean, and that's, I think ultimately what we're called to as Christ followers. We're not called to like certain roles in life. Yeah. We're called to like live humbly as Jesus taught us to. Mm-hmm. That's what was occurring to me as well. When you guys were talking about having this major unexpected thing happen with having to have surgery and being completely out, everything is falling to Brandon and just how because you all had that fluidity of roles and that adaptability and open line of communication, how you were able to adapt and adjust as needed. Whereas, you know, in my work as a therapist, where a lot of couples get stuck is when they do roles in a very rigid way, or they do it gender-based and they're not able to adapt that quickly. Mm. It was like the, the gender roles become forefront over the mutual love and submission to one another. And I just appreciate how well you guys have modeled that even in passing back and forth this conversation and talking about all that the other does well. I mean, you guys are modeling that really well. I want to jump into um, that deep dive that you mentioned earlier, Haley. There was a research paper for you, I believe, that kind of started everything in your deep dive into this. So let's start there because again, you guys are a resident MDivs. So Haley, maybe start with that research paper. Yeah. Well, and I think a part of the research paper is the story that kind of comes along with it. But when I was in college, I had an awesome professor who I actually think is theologically complementarian. He was never super clear on where he was at, but my uh, suspicion is that's kind of where he landed. But when we were in college in our systematic theology course, he was, uh, we had to write essentially almost like a thesis, but he was known for ascribing you like a view opposite of what you thought just to like help you learn. Uh, But when I was in that course, I think he knew I was an egalitarian. And I think that out of support for me as a student, 
he wanted to see me like flush some of that out and to have better handles and how I thought about that kind of place in my life. And so he um, assigned me this view of egalitarian. And a part of the assignment was that we wrote a, uh, we wrote a paper, a pretty hefty paper about it. And then we had to live, uh, give a live defense of our paper in an active debate against the person who wrote the paper with the officer perspective. Wow. And so that was a part of my like experience, which I loved. I mean, I think it's, it was formational for me in a lot of ways you know, it helps you like learn something better when you have to talk about it. I think that's true for everybody. But my experience of kind of giving a defense of this paper, part of the way that I approached it was I sort of went kind of backwards. Like I took some of the passages and the views that are sort of most tightly held by complementarians in defense of their position. And I kind of walked it back and talked about actually how I see the opposite in some of these places. And um, when I gave my defense of this paper, I actually got a standing ovation from many of the men in my class, stood up and started clapping. And it was very overwhelming (laughs) and awkward. I didn't know like what to do with that. But I remember feeling like what happened. And it's funny because Brandon, you said it without us even talking about this, but you expressed like that you experienced like freedom in our relationship and the way that we do relationship. And I think that's exactly what a lot of my friends and the, some of the men in my class, my peers were experiencing. Mm-hmm. I think they, um, they felt like freed up by some of that. And um, I think that's something we don't explore a lot with complementarianism. I hear a lot of egalitarians getting defensive of women being victimized and put down. But I also, I rarely hear people talk about how that view actually creates a lot of pressure for men. It, it, it stirs up a lot of um, like need to perform. And I, I think sometimes people need to be freed up from. And so that was my experience. And then I left, I, I was followed out by a female in the class who was very upset with me for defending this in the way that I did. And I think what happened was that I just, I think, you know, like young adults, it just disrupted a worldview for her and forced her to kind of have to like explore some other options uh, for living out this component of her faith. And so that's kind of the story that I, I look back on a lot and I laugh to think that, you know, you would think the opposite, that men would be jeering at me, not cheering for me. And that was really not my experience. So, um, yeah, Haley, I can imagine that that experience in the classroom is really unexpected, but validating Brandon. I'm wondering, you had already talked about feeling this freedom in your all's relationship. Do you think her peers, her male peers were experiencing that? Like, how would you? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when I think of this idea and one of the things that I've loved about, you know, learning at a seminary level is when I look at the Bible as a whole and the way uh, that the Lord is ascending the role in view of women all throughout scripture. So I think from Genesis to Revelation, we see God all throughout culture, time and history, ascending in his view of women. Uh, whether that be in leadership roles, um, all these different ways uh, that we can really, we, we can see that. And I love this kind of overarching uh, meta-narrative that God is empowering people uh, to really be who he's wanting and creating them to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so for Haley's uh, point and what she's talking about, what she was experiencing, I think what those men were experiencing was a sense of freedom to not have to have control over everything, um, you know, not have everything mapped out because that would be an absolute ton of pressure. And I just think when we look at scripture as a whole, we see that the Lord is giving us a lighter kind of yoke, if we wanted to use like biblical your terms. Burden, yeah. Like he says, you give me your burden, I'll give you mine, which is, which is light. 
that leads to freedom. And so I think when we keep these open lines of communication, uh, when we are mutually submitting in love to one another, I think we're allowing the best version of the other person to really to shine. And, you know, I can just even think of, and if the pressure for me, you know, during the season were to be the breadwinner, and that would be an incredible uh, pressure that wouldn't allow me to do other things that I feel like the Lord is calling me to do. Mm -hmm. And so we, we find this freedom through kind of this theological understanding of, of being equal. Haley, how do you handle being the breadwinner, right? So Brandon is saying, there's not this pressure on me. It's freeing me up. And of course it's a partnership. So you guys will experience that in different seasons. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. It's funny. I, I don't know that I've thought about that a ton. I think because I think that's part of the marriage vows, right? That like what we have between one another is shared. And so um, I've never earned a paycheck and felt like it belonged just to me, that it's something that belongs to both of us. Mm -hmm. And um, we're both working really hard. We just are investing our work and my work makes us money (laughs) in this season. And Brandon's work is, it's gleaning something different. And so um, I just, yeah, I don't, I think I've, I started out experiencing that like this is something it's just what we offer together, you know, and, you know, uh, we look back and laugh. I mean, I hope it's okay to say this, that um, Brandon brought a lot more money to our marriage than I did. Right. So, and he did that really freely and with like a lot of grace and humility. So I, I feel the same way about, you know, what I'm doing now. I think sometimes the role stuff we can get, we can get a little bit caught up in like what we should be or supposed to be doing or how the roles we're supposed to have. And actually don't like see a lot of that in scripture that roles in, especially in the home are being assigned. I think what if it's like more about gifts and like what you're bringing to the table in terms of your gifts. I think we see that more clearly in scripture. Yeah. As I'm hearing you guys talk about that, I'm thinking of this couple that I had in my practice, a younger couple, and they were very stuck and fixated on these roles and male as head and provider. And he was experiencing what both of you are alluding to, just this immense pressure. And also a little bit along with the pressure, this entitlement without even realizing it. So if I'm expected to be the sole provider then it also comes with some level of respect from you, wife, or almost this sense of you owe me something for the role. And when we just sat and explored, well, let's, you know, both Christians just caught up in the gender role frame rather than the spiritual gifts frame and just talked about, well, let's talk about how Jesus treated people. Brandon, when you were saying this ascending view of women. Yeah. And just when they paused to consider how Jesus interacted with people, it was almost like a 180. And I mean, that's not every every case or every couple, but in this instance, it was this automatic, oh my gosh, you know, I've been putting something else at the forefront rather than what scripture actually says, which is to humbly serve and submit and love one another. And then to watch the way that Jesus interacted with women, it was almost like he had this moment of repentance toward his wife. And it was really beautiful. And I think freeing for them and kind of set them on this trajectory that you guys have been on from the start. I think it's interesting too, because you could flip the script on that. You know, I mean, I think there's an immense amount of pressure in like running and managing a home. If you are, you know, find yourself in a marriage where you're in traditional, like these type of quote unquote, uh, for the listener, you know, traditional 
roles, if all your husband is doing is working and you're managing everything else inside of your marriage and the life of your home, I mean, that's an immense amount of pressure too. And a lot of work. And I mean, I love that. I think we see right now, I see it on like Instagram a lot. I think there's a resurgence of like, people are like making sure that folks know that like, it's not an easy job to manage the stuff in the home. Like I've seen a lot of videos and short things on social media and stuff kind of describing that, but you know, what becomes, what's challenging about our culture that I think we're called to something different as Christians is that I think our culture tends to, you're going to lift one thing up at the expense of the other. Mm -hmm. And I think as Christians, I just, I don't, I actually don't think that that's what biblical equity is. I don't think that it's at the expense of the other. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit. What you found in scripture, Haley, you said you walked it backward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one that we all think of right off the bat is in the very front of our Bibles. Um, I think people use it a lot. Um, I think it's become weaponized. I, it is the, the, the one many of us know, right? The use of the term helper to describe God's reason for creating a woman. And I, you know, I think where this began to really like confirm some of what I really believed and what we see in scripture and affirm me and where I was at was when I just started doing word studies, really simple, like word studies on the language and the context of the passage. So in Genesis two, right, that's prior to the fall, uh, God says he's going to create a helper for the man. And the, the term helper, which, uh, excuse my pronunciation, the word is azer. And this term, which has been translated as helper for us, it actually, a word study would show you that it means, it means strength. It means power. It means protection. It means help and rescue. And so I think it's interesting because strength, power, protection, and rescue are four terms that I think are typically ascribed to men. And um, I think it's really fascinating that we've sort of taken the word helper. We grabbed that definition. We've ascribed our 21st century Western view of that word not even 21st century. I mean, this has been happening for a long time, right? We've sort of forced women then into this way of operating. And I think God's view, right? So we see prior, this is prior to the fall. This is like God's best. This is his version of the, of the world. This is like the beauty of the world. And he created women to provide strength and power and protection in relationship not to be their administrative assistant. (laughs) And so, which is the word, I think, I think that's the way we've come to like um, explain and understand that word. So I think that already gives, shows you like the view of women. We don't see the dominance shift that happens after Genesis, Genesis three, after the fall, that that wasn't God's original intention for relationship between men and women that happens later. And yeah, I think that the expression of dominance, I think we tend to like, we've adapted that that's the way we should live. And I think that we see really quickly right in scripture, that's living in a space of fallenness that is not in God's original design. Mm -hmm. So that's one for sure that comes to mind at first. And I think, you know, it's important to note that the way that we understand like terms described in scripture, scholars have taken, you know, that, so that word is there they've looked at the context in which it's used all across scripture and that that's what helps give definition 
And so those other terms of definition, strength and power, protection and rescue, those are actually the most common ways that that word is used. And so that's, you wouldn't just make up a new meaning for a word when it's used in a different way in all these other places. And so, which is essentially what a lot of the church has done. When, when I think of specifically throughout scripture, one of the things I think even in the Old Testament is we see specifically a woman prophet and their role as judge over this large group of Israelites. And I mean, if, if the Lord didn't have an ascending view of, of women all throughout history, th- there is no way that we would find in scripture all of these women in prominent leadership roles uh, above large groups of people including men. Well, and I might offer to that, like to Brandon's point, you know, I think we can really quickly, like just assume there's none of that in the old Testament that Mm -hmm. we have to go to the new Testament to find that. And that's actually not true. I mean, Deborah to Brandon's point, prophet and leader, we see that she's in judges four and five, but I mean, she didn't just exercise like spiritual leadership. She exercised uh, a level of military leadership over men and women. So like, that's not just something that like appears when Jesus comes on the scene. I think that the the kingdom of Israel was, they were doing some of that in their own right. So that's just one example of others. But I think, yeah, Brandon's point around like a broader, we, I think it's important that we look at like the broader narrative. I was just going to add to the, to the story of Deborah, like with Deborah and Barak. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. Yep. We have the patriarchs. And then in that story, you get this co-leadership right? Like this, where you're saying that the word Ezer is used for help and strength and protection in the story in judges, you know, it's, we're all going, Hey, I'll, I'll go into battle, but I need you to come with me. And it's, yeah. so it's that picture of that, that co-leadership in that pre-fall picture of men and women. So I yeah. love that both of you brought up that story. What about some new Testament examples? Yeah. You know, I think one is more significant, you know, I look at this and I think sometimes, and I think this is true for lots of scripture, right? We can't completely understand its significance in our like culture and with our worldview at this time in history. So we miss some stuff, but I don't, you know, I don't think it should be lost on us. What we see um, in John 20 with uh, Jesus, you know, and this, we see this obviously in other gospels too, but I was referenced John 20, but with Jesus, the first person that he appeared to after his resurrection was Mary Magdalene, who we understand was a disciple. I mean, we understand her like a disciple. So I think that is so incredibly profound that the first person essentially to share the gospel, I have a great quote from N.T. Wright, apostolic ministry grows out of the testimony that Jesus is alive, right? So that's our entire faith is we attach it to a moment in history, the resurrection of Jesus, and the first person to carry that message to the disciples themselves, uh, to the 12 themselves, was a woman. And uh, I just don't think it should be lost on us that Jesus would entrust, I think that was strategic and intentional on his part, that he would entrust that to a woman and uh, a friend of his, right, that he would entrust that to her. And I think we, uh, we tend to kind of glaze over that. Jesus's way of viewing and including women in his life and ministry. It was like deeply, deeply profound. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that should set the stage. I think that does set the stage then for the rest of what we find in the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Brandon, maybe speak more to that a little bit. What are your thoughts on focusing on all the Pauline letters and all of that over the Gospels? Can you talk about the differences there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, we we view Jesus as coming to fulfill the law, not to give a new one. And so when when we look at specific you know, verses of scripture, yeah, especially like the Pauline epistles or many of his letters that he is writing. I had a professor who said a text without a context is a text for you to mean whatever you want. So if we don't give context to what we are reading, you know, understanding the culture, being able to understand, you know, just on a very basic letter uh, level, whether it be Hebrew or kind of Greek to give us a more full understanding, we can very easily take a text out of context. And so what's been so helpful for me in seminaries to really kind of take some deep dives on these pieces of scripture and, and find out, you know, who is this letter being written to? You know, what is the reason that he's, he's writing this letter? You know, what is going on uh, in this town, whether it be Philippi or uh, the churches in Ephesus and Ephesians? Um, what, are, what are they struggling with? And is that why he's addressing these issues? And when we hold that up against all of scripture and, and what it's saying, they really align with one another. It's not contradictory in its nature, but it's really, they, they complement one another. And so that's been, you know, super helpful for me when I, when I read some of these pieces of scripture that we would think are kind of controversial in, in a setting like this. Well, and I think just to respond to that too, Bran, I think one of those that we see, we hear a lot as, um, a reason for female submission is uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, the, his first letter to Timothy in chapter two, um, talks about women learning that they need to learn quietness and full submission. I think we've missed like the context of some of that is, you know, Jesus is writing to a body of believers who had a lot of women who were behaving inappropriately in the worship space. And he was, you know, we know Paul is the, the guy who's like addressing He's like addressing the strong stuff, the stuff that is off within Christian communities. And this was one of those things in that community that was off. Um, I think when I read it, you know, kind of in some commentaries, it almost felt like it's like a group of women who are like causing too much drama <laughs> and behaving inappropriately. And, um, and not appropriately in the sense that like, there's a specific right way, uh, not I don't know, like not a manners and appropriateness at that level, but like rudeness and, you know, that they were displaying qualities that were not Christ-like. And this is Paul kind of calling that out, you know, so to Brandon's point around context, I mean, we've built an entire way of operating off of, I think, a misinterpreted passage. We've got to, I mean, I just think that's a really, that's super dangerous. I think especially now we have we have all the tools for biblical interpretation. And as believers, I think we have a responsibility to it, to Brandon's point. So what do you all think that that looks like? If we're not to pull out verses and use them as a pretext for whatever we want those verses to mean, how do we look at the whole of scripture? Like what, what would be some, some guidance you guys would give based on what you've learned in seminary to kind of take a look at the full text? Where would you send people those types of things? First thing I actually would say is I, I think it requires an attitude of openness. I think we have, and I think some of this is, you know, influenced by the culture that we live in as Westerners that like what we think is the best thing to think and, um, or the best way to think about something. And I think that this is actually a 
Christian quality that, that we're, I think Jesus invites us to like be really open to challenge and to be open to like shifting the way that we're thinking and operating. And so I think that we have a responsibility when we come to new information in scripture to change our course, that to align our lives around it. And so that might not be like a specific tool or something, but I think that the way you approach it all, the attitude with which you approach it is the first step. And I think Jesus himself shows us this attitude. You know, I even think of like the passage, the fruit of the spirit, but I had a professor kind of bring up the thought that like, what if we'd been understanding maybe the fruit of the spirit passage, we tend to think of it as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these, you know, these qualities separate, but we know that scripture tells us that it's the fruit. It's one fruit together. And what if the fruit of the spirit is love, which is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, that it's, that it's all those things together. You know, I think of gentleness and that being, you know, deeply connected to humility and all of that working together, that it's an attitude we show up to scripture with. Yeah, I would love to add to that. One of the things I think on a really kind of deep and practical level that I've really loved about uh, learning scripture is that you don't have to be a theologian uh, to come to these understandings. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. Um, there are some really helpful tools. I know of one tool specifically that I really enjoy when I start reading a new book of the Bible, uh, whether I've read it once or 20 times, it's called The Bible Project. And it's this free online resource where they really map out um, each book of the Bible in a really um, entertaining and articulate, winsome way. And so one of the habits that I have is every morning I get up and I read one or two chapters of scripture, and then I kind of journal on those one or two chapters. And before I begin a new book, I'll just watch this video that the Bible Project will put out. And it gives this overarching view and uh, narrative of that book. Because um, scripture is compiled of 66 books. Uh, we know we have over 40 authors that have compiled scripture, uh, but it all is the inspired word of God that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture teaches us that. And so the Lord is, is deeply practical in what he's giving us. And one of the things I know is when we read scripture, it reads us. Um, when I'm reading scripture and I'm out of alignment, um, the Lord will tell me, hey, this area in your life, you know, you're off. Or, hey, you're doing this really well. And so when we have these kind of uh, questions of context or whatever, I'm, I'm always asking myself, you know, who is the letter written to? Uh, what were those people dealing with? Um, I mean, are, are, do I struggle with those kind of same things? And it helps frame what that scripture is talking about. And it can kind of help us not just pick and choose the scriptures we like or the scriptures that we understand, um, but it, it really challenges us to have a broader and more full picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, both of those are really helpful tools. Even as you're talking about getting a better understanding of who the letters were written to and what was going on. I mean, it reminds me of this conversation that we're having. Haley, you were saying like, just the way that Paul was instructing to Timothy, you know, there's things going on in worship that shouldn't be happening. I mean, we're sitting here talking about, well, we have a lot of pride in the church. We have, you know, a lot of these issues that aren't exhibiting the fruit of the spirit and so kind of in that same way, thinking about it, we're in our context talking about how to be more Christ-like. And that's exactly what Paul was doing to these various cultural contexts in the exact same way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially, you know, I think about something like 
this conversation, you know, Kenzie, you see a lot of people in your practice that are working some of this stuff out in their marriage. And I think it's interesting. I think Jesus talks a lot more about love than he does about roles in marriage and roles in the church. Jesus talks about love mostly and like submission and humility and what he exemplifies is love and humility and peace. And I just think it's interesting sometimes that this narrative, it's interesting. We tend to get hung up on these narratives that I think we've really created out of scripture. And that's the stuff we're going to make the main thing. And we miss out on really the thing that I think Jesus has made the main thing. Okay. So we've talked about theology. We've talked about how to understand the Bible. We've given people good tools to do that. I'm wondering for you all, how has your theology, Haley, you were just speaking to really the gospel is about love and how do we do that well? So how has that theology informed the way that you guys have done marriage? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think one of the things we're both real practical. So I guess I kind of think quickly go move to practical. I've think of a couple of rhythms that we've like built into our marriage. We use a marriage journal that we come to just a weekly resource to kind of check in. And a lot of it is like oriented around like, are we loving one another? Well, that's been really helpful for us. And then we do um, like a yearly check-in. That's a little bit of a deeper dive on really every kind of category of our marriage from love and sex to like finance and, um, you know, goals and all of that. And I think we just, I think Brandon said it really great at the beginning. He said it really well, just we work to keep the other person in first position. And I think that's ultimately, you know, obviously uh, Jesus is first, but um, in terms of our earthly relationships, we work to prioritize the other person and see the other person. Uh, we do not always do that perfectly at all, but um, we I think we, we consciously put effort in that direction. And so I think like finding a rhythm to, of like loving each other in practical ways like that, like doing the work, doing the practical stuff matters a lot. And that's something we try to do. Yeah. And in thinking about your question of how our theology has shaped our marriage and I think the way that we do our lives, it's so challenging because I can just be so selfish and, you know, I, I'm so challenged in scripture and it's in, in marriage, you know, all throughout scripture, we, we have this narrative of marriage and the church being the bride of Christ and this mutual submission of love to one another. And, and I think I never realized, um, you know, how self-absorbed I can be, you know, until we got married. And then I realized, oh, uh, you know, you're here all the time. And, um, you know, when I wake up, you're there. When I go to bed, you're there. And it's, it's a muscle that you learn, you know, it's a muscle that you grow. And so for any of the listeners out there who are wondering, how do you get to this point? I think you just, you begin where you are. And I, I remember wrestling with this kind of question in my early adulthood of, you know, kind of what is God's plan for my life? You know, whether it be with Haley and I's relationship with my work, whatever it is. And I remember just coming to a point where I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, my will for you is to do the next right thing. So today, I want you to, to do what is, what is right, what I have called you to do, the person who I've created you to be. And I remember that kind of, again, this sense of freedom in that, of not having to have this five-year plan, of not having to have all this figured out, but the Lord is basically telling you, I'll give you the next right step, and, and you leave the rest to me. And that really has been a discipline for us in our marriage and this idea of mutual submission and love, where we're continuing to learn about one another, 
We're continuing to learn how to serve one another well. And there are moments when that's easier than others. Um, you know, when Haley first had her injury with her Achilles tendon that first week, you know, I thought I was going to lose my mind because, um, you know, I knew she did a lot for us, but I didn't know she did that much. And so, I mean, you know, you'll never appreciate something until it's gone and you realize, you know, how much uh, the other person has done for you. And so, you know, you get these glimpses where I think the Lord, if you're being willing and open, where I think he's constantly speaking to us. And, and I think this is one of the ways in which he was like, you know, see, see what I've given you. Don't take it for granted. And there are these, there are these moments in our life where we can get glimpses of how to love one another better. I think if we're in the posture of, of really being open. Yeah. And I think to your point around, like, if you're finding yourself like challenged by this theological idea that like you might've been thinking differently and you kind of are learning some new stuff in scripture and want to be responsible to it. You know, I just think to Brandon's point, like pick one thing, pick one way you move uh, the needle in your life and um, find one way to do that um, and be responsible to it. And I think that's a great, you know, don't feel overwhelmed and like you have to change your whole lifestyle today. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so we've talked about scripture. We've talked about the views you guys came into marriage with. And I'm thinking about this therapist who I respect. He says, nothing prepares you for marriage quite like marriage. But I, I want to put a spin on that and ask you guys, how has marriage shown you more about God? How has actually doing the thing led you to know God differently than you did before? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think we see all throughout scripture, you know, this idea of, of marriage and the church being the bride of Christ, like we said earlier. And you know, you can read that and you kind of understand it, but until you actually have a bride, you, you quite don't understand what that means. And I think for me, it's just another way that I just realized how kind God is. I mean, he sent his son to come down to redeem us so that we could be made right with him. I mean, the wages of sin is death. And so that is what awaits me if I didn't know Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for me, you know, even me. It's so humbling because in a very small sense, I think as a married couple, I'm beginning to understand that more deeply, this idea of sacrifice for the other person's betterment. And it just is so humbling to know that God would, would do that for me in such a deeper and more profound way. And it's in these moments of reflection and when reading scripture and journaling that I'm, that I'm reminded of that fact. I, yeah, I love what you said, babe. I might go at it from the other angle too. I think and we hear this a lot, but I think it's true that you realize in marriage, like how selfish you are and um, how you focus you are. And there's nothing like having to like invest in and care for and live closely next to another person and up in front of another person to like show you your own humanity. And so I'm grateful for how I've learned about myself. I think that's, again, God's kindness to Brandon's point in marriage. I think that's been a, a huge thing, a huge space where I've experienced his love for me and just helping me see areas of myself that really could use some work and where his love isn't alive in my life. So, Well, I am grateful for the both of you. I'm Evan and I are so grateful for your all's friendship. And as we end, is there any place that the listeners can connect with you all or find Community of Hope resources if they don't have a home church? Yeah, sure. Well, I will say you and Evan are 
some of our dearest friends. We love you both and are so glad to be in relationship with you. And um, yeah, we would love to be connected to anybody. We can be reached both. It's our first names. Our email is Haley at communityofhope.church, Brandon at communityofhope.church. And um, yeah, our communityofhope.church is our website. There's lots of great resources there. I know one thing that's been a resource to us as a church uh, that is through something called Alpha Marriage. That's a course that we use if you're looking for something that's been really helpful for us, a resource that we use as a church a lot. So if you're not in a place in the country where you could participate with us, that is there. I actually do know that we, we offer an online course. We're currently in one and we'll likely do one in the spring. So if folks are looking for something, that would be there. Uh, but we'd love to, yeah, be connected. Those are probably the best places to find us. We're on social media, but not crazy active. So, well, yeah. Brandon's not, I guess I am. Yeah, I'm pretty um, much non-existent on social media, but <laughs> shoot me an email. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to get to know you yeah. if we can be helpful. And Evan and Kenzie, we just love you guys. Thank you for having us on the podcast yes. and for having us in your life. It truly is a pleasure and we're better because of it. Totally. Thanks, you guys. Love you all, too. Thank you so much for doing this. Hope you guys have a good day. Thanks. Thanks, Kimmy. Love is not a battle. Love is not a bond. Love is just as fragile as it is.